Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me I have Logan. How are you feeling, Logan? Mate, I'm uh, I'm on the mend. I think that the three points this morning uh, certainly helped, uh, you know, Im- improve the uh, the overall state of state of my health. But um, yeah, no, I've been battling the flu, but that's okay. It's um, as I said, it, it's always made a little bit easier with a positive result like this morning. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted out yesterday. We had a bit of a um. Uh, crisis of uh, crisis of health amongst the um, podcasters it was like you know some teams in the EFL when they've had COVID ripped through the team and they haven't been able to front up for selection and yeah we had we had everyone out with something yesterday it was pretty crazy so do appreciate you um, coming on today and as you said I reckon the three points this morning was the uh, the perfect tonic for everyone's health um, we will get to that game in a second we'll probably uh, talk pretty briefly about the Birmingham game because I don't know if there's a whole lot to say about that uh that fixture itself, I must admit, um, finishing nil-nil as it did with very few chances. Probably, to be honest, our best chance coming in just about the first minute of the game. I think it was McLaughlin put Lewis Potter through, had a pretty decent chance at goal, but that was just about as good as it got. It really was. It was one of those interesting games where you kind of, you, you almost got the feeling that like that something could happen in it, but it, it just was one of those uh, like. I wouldn't even say huff and puff games. It was end to end. There was like limited chances, but yeah, just it didn't really feel like either side was, you know, supremely dominant. It wasn't a game full of, you know, much class. It was just kind of a gritty performance of of two teams that, you know, were kind of just looking to get anything really um, at this this end of the season um, to kind of stave stave off the um, the the approaches of the the bottom three. So uh, kind of it, it looked like that game. It felt like that game. And, and as you said, there, there wasn't much to write home about it, except for the fact that we, we came away with a very crucial point. Yeah. And I'm, I'm quite glad in the end that we've ended up doing the podcast today because there's a lot more to talk about with the Coventry game. And it gives that point a bit more context and, and a bit more hope that it's a, it's now two games unde- undefeated. Um, yeah, I guess with the Birmingham game itself, um, I can't I can't really think of too much else to say about it. So it is a pretty pretty short review on that one. Other than I guess it was a solid lineup. Um, what well, we had Longman back in at right wing back. We had Eves up top, which I think last week with Mike I was sort of saying Eves uh, as an option up forward offers a bit something a bit different from the other strikers that we have. A bit more physical than Tyler Smith and a bit more I guess active in the play than um, Marcus Force is. Um, and then Longman back in at right wing back, I think if we're going to play him, I think that's where we play him. I just don't know if he really suits that front three or, or at least hasn't had any particularly standout games in that front three. And, and we'll talk in a segment about this morning's game. And, and certainly um, he, he really stood out in that position again. Um, so so really solid selection. I think that's just about our best 11, I would say. Um, we sort of talked a little bit about what we'd do with the new signings in January and where they fit into the side. And probably the answer is off the bench, really. I mean, I, I find it pretty difficult to sort of split which players in that 11 that started against Birmingham could be improved upon in our current players. Yeah, I agree. I think that, as, as you mentioned before, in, in regard to Longman, I think him playing right wing back is is certainly his position. If, if you go back and look at his goals this season too, a lot of them seem to come from deeper. And when I say that, I mean, he, he usually gets the ball deeper or he's kind of sniffing around on the edge of the box. So, it kind of seems a little bit pointless to play him higher up. As you said, he probably doesn't have the same same level of impact in an attacking sense that that much further up the, the pitch, which is kind of, I know it's a strange thing to say, but it just, it seems to be where, where he seems to flourish the most. And 
with a, a player like him with with such a work rate, um, you know, he's he's certainly proven himself that that he can do a role. And um, as you mentioned, because Tom Eves is so different, if if you do play Longman at right wing back and you put Tom Eves up up top, then there is a very um, different dynamic to our attack, which uh, you know can only be uh, you know put into place with those two on the pitch. So yeah, I agree, and I think that the the team that we played uh, with Birmingham probably is our, our best eleven. I mean. Um, you know, yeah, you can mention that some of the new signings, uh, you know, on paper probably are higher quality, quality or higher caliber players, but, you know, they certainly haven't earned their stripes or, or forced their way into the team with, um, you know, with anything credible so far. I mean, granted, there has been a little bit of injury, um, you know, that's probably to, to blame for that. But, yeah, there's, there's no reason why, uh, you know, players like Tom Eves aren't there for the, the walk-up start, which is a very strange thing to say. Uh, given yeah. Leaves his career at Hull City's been. And I was going to say, I mean, it is a bit strange to be saying it's probably our most cohesive 11 given the performance against Birmingham, but I suppose the sort of um, the proof or the or the evidence is more in the performance we saw against Coventry and, and having that settled lineup. I know Slater came in for Doherty against Coventry, but having that settled lineup, we almost saw the fruits of it in the second game rather than necessarily straight away against Birmingham. But um, yeah, pretty strong. Um, I guess you have uh, three players to give MVP votes, and this one is probably a tricky one to pick players out from. Look, I'm I'm simply going on the uh, the whoscored.com, and uh, and and the the stat for me is just the the man who keeps coming to mind is Fleming. He's if you yeah. look at his numbers at the moment um, and what he's doing, particularly in a in a gutsy nil or draw, uh, he just seems to be in the thick of everything, and uh, and seems to be able to create stuff for us as well. I think I know I'm jumping ahead, but there was a passage this morning uh, where where he kind of ended up in a tussle with like two players and, and kind of spun out of it and then ended up like beating the beating the second guy and then just like taking off up the sideline. I was just, I was so impressed to, to watch a player that has that, um, that, that heart, but also just that resolve to just continue to, to find a way out of those challenges. And you often see him put himself in a situation that looks like it's going to be dangerous. And then all of a he sudden- just, He just gets through them, yeah. Danny and he's out of it, and so it's uh, he's a really exciting player. So in a in a nil all uh, nil all game, he he was my standout. I, I really struggled with this one, Alex. Uh, to give you a, a two and a one, I, I think I'd just be grabbing the dartboard and um and, and having a, a blind throw. Um, so uh, yeah, look, if if I have to for for the sake of the sake of putting the the points, I think you probably have to keep it going with KLP. Um, given the fact that you mentioned. Uh, you know, he, he did have a couple of uh, decent chances, or uh, maybe it was him that had the chance at the start, near the start. Um, but I think he's probably in there. You maybe give him the two points and then, uh, I don't know. Look, if, if it's nil all, I'll probably give it to Greaves purely because uh, a centre-back and a nil all, it, there's, there's some level of sense in that. But it's a very yeah. tough one. No, good shout. And, and look, I, I know it's a tough one. These ones are always tough in these sorts of games because you're trying to pull three players out. And actually, I had almost the same issue with the Coventry game for the opposite reason is there's just too many players to fit in. But you know, look, I went with Fleming for the three votes as well. I thought he was outstanding. Um, he, he's really developing week on week. And, and and we sort of made the comparison a few weeks ago to Andy Robertson. And, and you really see that likeness, as you say, with with that sort of fearlessness and that ability to just push up the field, take on players and, you know, whip that ball into the box um, is brilliant to see. Um, I went I went Ingram for the two. Um, you could probably have given it to him for this morning as well. Really um, back-to-back clean sheets for him. Um, 
And it's it's a really interesting conversation now about what happens when Baxter's back fit because it's the same as at the start of the season, except now we're actually picking up performances and results. Um, it makes it a really interesting battle between the two for who actually gets the nod between the sticks. Um, and then I, I went KLP for the one. I, as you said, I you know had probably our best chance of the game and was an attacking player and I was grasping at straws just like you were. So, uh, yeah, went for those three. But, yeah, you know, Greaves as well is a good shout as well for um, a good performance. Um, cool. Okay. Well, the much more exciting game this morning against Coventry, 2-0 win. Who saw that coming? Where, where'd that come from? You know, I, I don't want to sound like I've predicted it, but there's just something about Coventry City. I know that, you know, historically they're they're a very new team to, I guess, to that area of the championship. Like to see them, uh, you know, pushing for a promotion spot um, or certainly a playoff place. Uh, before this morning, I know that they're they're a gutsy side, and they they did have some you know recent okay form heading in, and I know certainly at the start of the season they were they were flying, but they're just not one of those teams that you kind of on paper, or I guess a club that you associate with with dominance. Like there's there's not really a fear of of visiting Coventry City, and I say that with all due respect because I think what they've achieved is fantastic, but. Um, you know, it's it's certainly not in in the last like decade or so would we look at them as a as a club to fear. And so, uh, you always kind of wonder uh, when, when a club like that, particularly in those tough fights, um, you know, for those playoff spots. As we know, uh, we've you know been a mid-table championship team uh, certainly under Nigel Pearson and um, and and before the Steve Bruce era, and even during the Steve Bruce era, we were probably a little bit higher up. But it's really tough to be one of those those mid-table teams and, and to continually fight, particularly when you do have a, a big club like Hull, um, you know, who arguably are, are certainly bigger in the sense of their reputation and probably their roster too. Um, and so I, I backed this. I actually really thought that we were a chance um, this morning and, um, you know, I was glad to, glad to be proven correct in that, although even though it was 2-0 and we did play well, um, it's certainly not as comfortable as the scoreline suggested. Yeah, that's right. You did make that comment second half while we were watching it that, that they did have a number of really good chances and we seemed to certainly put the um, cue in the rack sort of part, partway through that second half. It seemed as if we'd sort of sort of satisfied ourselves that we'd seen the game out and we were just happy to sit back. Um, and, and look, they had that that big chance and and I'm glad that you actually found that footage of the, um, the goal line decision system that proved proved my instinct right that I think when the ball's in the air and it's traveling towards the goal line and then kind of gets deflected back the natural instinct is that oh it must have crossed the goal line because you just think it's in the air it's traveling you know it bounces and you've got that bit of grass and everyone thinks you see the grass it means it's over the line which isn't always the case um but I was I was as sure as I could be that it hadn't actually crossed the line because well first of all the watch hasn't gone off and, and barring any massive malfunction of that you'd think that that would be accurate. Um, and Greaves just just puts his body on the line and, and does brilliantly for us to keep it at 2-0. Um, and that's that's the chance. You think if that goes in, all of a sudden we're in for a nervy last 10, 15 minutes, whatever it, whatever it was going to be. Um, but we saw them out. And, and, and as I said earlier, another clean sheet in the books for, um, for um, Ingram as well, which was great. Yeah, absolutely. I thought in, in some ways the, the second goal uh, really, really pushed them in the sense that they seem to lose a lot of composure in their play. And it actually it pains me to say this, but it very much felt like a city team chasing a game, like the amount of times that people have visited the KCOM this season and, and got a lead. And you've watched us try to play our way back in. And you kind of, 
uh, the game becomes very open and scrappy and you try to overshoot your passes. And that was very much the story of, of how Coventry tried to get back in. You saw that it was really easy for us to get in between the lines and, and break up the play. And full credit to City, I think we defended with, you know, a, a ton of gusto and and they just kept showing up for each other and, um, you know, and making it difficult for Coventry. But um, I think Coventry in so many ways beat themselves. And and that's why that moment was so crucial, because I do think if they had got that goal in the 83rd minute and um, and were given, you know, 10 minutes to, to push, that's where things become a little bit more nervy. The defenders have that little bit more doubt and, um, you know, things, things amp up a little bit. So... Um, you know, as you said, the it's got a, the ball has to cross the entire line, and the watch never went off. So in this case, we'll uh, we'll trust the technology and, and be very grateful that uh, whatever millimeter or yeah, whatever, it would have been close. Um, you know, it it probably saved our bacon on the day. Yeah, we've got John in the comments saying so he was watching a Coventry fan thing on YouTube after um, at the game. They were a bit if you and getting the win after the win over the Blades because they, they did beat Chef United 4-1, I think it was, on the weekend. So I guess it's that sort of instinct of, you know, you have a big win and then you sort of, you know, come back to earth. And, and thankfully we saw Luton had a pretty big win today as well. So maybe that theory can hold up for the weekend. Um, then just on the goals themselves. So Smallwood with the first goal after I think it was only about 10 or so minutes, 10, 15 minutes, um, pretty tame shot i would say at the keeper and keeper probably should have done a bit better with it but but got us off to the perfect start and great to see him get a goal look i actually i want to come to the aid of the keeper in in this particular instance <laughs> as i watched it live i think i agreed I, there was a very much a strong case that he's just had an absolute howler but if you actually watch the shot from uh, from smallwood again there is there's a real deviation like the ball actually kind of hits the valve and swings back and okay. it was he hit it very hard um quite low uh low to the ground so i think it was one of one of those ones that probably came at the keeper much quicker than he thought and it moved so right. just that the angle where it's stuck under his body look uh, you know i'd still be aggrieved as a, as a coventry fan to see it go in but i think it probably is a little bit more uh difficult of a save um on on replay than it was and it actually looked live. So I'm going to fair play to Smallwood. I think he hit the ball, you know, fantastically well and um, and, and got his just desserts. But, did, um, did, you, yeah, did, you see, did you see the comments after the game? It's also just on Smallwood um, about the club sort of meeting with him in the next couple of weeks to sort out a new contract. Would you be keen for him to stick around for another year or so? Do you know, it's, that's a really, a really fascinating one because I, I don't think that I've always been a, a big fan of Smallwood's. Um, in it seems very polarising, yeah. He does. He he seems like he's one of those um, kind of, uh, I dare say, like Ashby-like players where he's he's always there. He loves a challenge. Um, he, he really has that kind of knit and grip without having a, a real sense of quality. Um, and so that's probably one of the big things that I, you know, would would say that I, I don't always feel confident with, with Smallwood. However, with that being said, he, he does certainly seem to, um, you know, have the respect of the playing group. And and clearly is, uh, you know, looked upon as one of those real working class heroes in the city ranks. So, look, if if that's the way they're they're heading, and they and they do, you know, believe that he has a role to play, well, well, fair play. If if, if he's going to keep, you know, putting up the performances that he has been recently, um, and can find a way to, you know, solidify his spot in the in the side, well, well, fair play. I mean, you got to remember now we've got we've got Slatter, we've got Doherty, we've got Honeyman. There's there's no shortage of bodies who can who can play in those central midfield roles. The thing that I probably do like about Smallwood is 
he, he's certainly a defensive midfielder that um, you know that loves to to be I guess that block and and give some coverage for um, you know a centre half. So interesting contract. I, I'm not I'm not upset about it. I, I'm not amazed by it. Um, you know, it, it, it makes sense. Yeah, and look, it could well be that he'll end up moving into that Huddleston sort of role of you know he'll play I don't know half a dozen. 15 games for the season, but he's more just there as that presence around the dressing room. Um, he's certainly one of the more experienced players in the squad. And I'll be honest, I, I thought when we signed him from, I think it was Blackburn, and he'd had been out for the entire year or something with injuries, and I thought, oh, you know, how has his body going to hold up? Um, played most of the season in, in League One, then was injured towards the end, and that's when Slater really got his chance. Um, but then coming into this season, I don't, I don't think he's really missed that many games at all with injury, if any. Um, which which is a real positive for him. And, and look, if he can keep that form up, and, and he was terrific this morning, um, he he certainly has a place in the squad, I think. And 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 he spoke this morning about saying he's really playing and doing all he can to earn a new contract. So he clearly wants to stick around. Yeah, no, and and fair play. I think that you know he's he's proven in the sense that he is a leader. And if that's if that's the the leader that they're looking for. In the city dressing room, I mean, things things may be very different under Shotter. We we just don't know. I think it's yeah. uh, it's early to too early to say. Yeah, um, and then the second goal, Longman um, almost broke the goal in half. Uh, you know, pretty pretty powerfully struck strike. Um, really good to get that second goal for a bit of safety and um, and security, I guess, in the result, and, and really set us on our way. But um, good to see him back amongst the goals, as I sort of alluded to earlier. I think playing him in that right wing back spot really suits him, and it and it really brings the best out of him. He just looks so confident when he scores, doesn't he? There's like there's a real purpose. Like that that shot, as you said, you know, blazed off, nearly broke the crossbar, how hard it was hit. Um, but he just peeled off and headed straight to the corner as, you know, as if that's that's what I'm here to do, kind of thing. There's just a real assurance. And it, as you said, it's it's great to see him back in the goals. Um and I mean, what did we pay for him? Three hundred thousand pounds or or something absurd. Uh, what what a signing. Yeah, no, terrific, terrific from him as well. Um, Eves as well, you know, this was, this was a great display from Eves, I thought, uh, and really deserved a goal out of it. So it was a bit unfortunate he didn't get it. There was that play, I think it was late in the second half or halfway through the second half. He sort of, it wasn't really a Cruyff turn, but it was some sort of like, it, it was, it sort of reminded me of that Diamande turn against Crystal Palace a few years ago. It was like that, just, he just sort of weaved in and out of the, of the defenders and got through. And it was just, it was brilliant to see. And I, I love a Tom Eves full of confidence. Like, you know, we saw, we saw it in, against Everton in the cup. When he's full of confidence, he can he he's just on top of his game and and look, I really hope he does get that run in the side and can get that confidence up and, and start to score a few goals because he looks terrific when he can do it. Yeah, and like I guess that now it's kind of starting to to get talked about a little bit more um, in in the regard to how much his hold up plays improved. I yeah. mean, there's so many times now where you where you see Tom Eggs. I mean, putting balls in behind and expecting him to blister you know defenders with his pace is, is just not his game but when we do get higher up the pitch and we're able to to find his feet he has proven a, a very very uh quality hold up hold up player for us and i know that there was the shot where um where he hit it with his left foot and uh and the keeper saved it on the on the near post but uh, just for him to actually kind of back himself enough to make that space and, and have the shot as i said it's, it's not necessarily his game but when you see him doing things like that, you can tell that there's you know an air of confidence in the way he's playing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, we had a few players back from injuries as well. Um, I, did four send up on the pitch? I know Elia got on the pitch. Um, this I think he was, he was no, it was Force was he came on against Birmingham, I think, from memory. Um, I'm just checking the lineups now, so I'm actually 
know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Force came on against Birmingham. But yeah, Elia back on the pitch this morning was good to see. I, I kind of would have liked to see him on a bit earlier. I thought the way that Coventry were letting us have so much space in midfield, I really thought it was a game suited to him with his pace. Um, would have been great to see him have a bit of time to work his way into the side. But um, that being said, I mean, good to see him back from injury and, and getting some minutes in the legs as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I thought Slater coming in for Doherty probably wasn't his, his best game, I have to say. Um, I think he, he was a bit sloppy at times, but but I thought he was good enough. And, and it shows that we've got that depth in midfield that we can rotate the players like that. Absolutely. I think one of the things is probably, you know, undervalued in, in respect to, you know, we've, we're very quick to, to jump on Schotter and, and talk about his management in the sense that he's a new manager to the English game and, uh, and that kind of stuff. But when we do have a 2-0 lead like that, yes, there is a tension to want to kind of, you know, throw the kitchen sink and, and while we've got momentum, you know, bring on a star striker and, and all the rest of it. And, and sure, that, that may have been the play. Um, but I think it shows a, a real level of discipline in his management to say that, you know, well, things are working here. We've got, we've got a 2-0 lead and, you know, the, the, our shape seems to be good. Uh, we're still providing options where we, we look like we can hurt them. And I think that's a, that's a really, um, you know, important thing to be able to identify uh, because we're very quick to, to jump on it when things go wrong. Um, and so just as how we might operate as managers, um, you know, when we see, the right call potentially. I mean, it was the right call when we walk away with the 2-0 victory. Um, that that it's, it's worth praising as well. So I think fair play to him in in that particular instance. Yeah, I was going to ask you as well, just what your what what I mean. We've, we're sort of I don't know what it is, ten games, maybe eight games into Shotter's reign now, and we've had a couple of good wins. We had the win against Swansea. We got the win um, today, obviously, and and I think there was another win that I'm now forgetting um, for Shotter. Um, couple of disappointing defeats as well. Um, sort of starting to get a better picture of what his his City team looks like. I guess we probably won't have a properly clear picture until um, he gets his chance to, to bring some players in in summer. Um, oh, it was the Peterborough win, of course. Um, but w- what do you make of Shotter so far? How, how are you feeling? Like if we were to say we're coming into next season with aims of promotion and we're going to basically have a blank checkbook, so to speak, for Shotter to bring in the players he wants, do you have the confidence that he's the man who can take us up? Or too early to say? I think we have to say that it's it's still too early to say. And I know that that's the, the easy out, but I think that the when you kind of look at where we were when he took over, I mean, the ceiling would be a, a miracle run. You know, we sneak into the playoffs and everything's booming. I mean, that the, the, the ideal scenario, very unlikely going to happen. And then you look at kind of what could have been is where, you know, he loses every game and puts us right back down into the relegation scrap. And, you know, I guess there might be an argument before the the four points that we're we're talking about on this episode today that he could have been closer to that but i think it's probably he's about where he where he should be in the yeah. sense that he hasn't done too much damage he hasn't really set the world alight but like you said it's this isn't his team that he's playing with like i think that's the that's the thing that we always kind of tried to give you know McCann benefit for the doubt with is he was working on a shoestring budget and the players that that he was playing with weren't necessarily all his players. Um, it's not like he signed them. He might have been part of it, but I'm sure that there was a lot of players that Grant McCann wanted that simply at the time of where the club was at, the answer was no. So I think to to sum up Shotter is he's probably about where we expect him to be. Um, I'm still confident that if, if he's given free reign and, and can go and sign some people, then then we start to get a real picture of, of who he is as a manager and, and the type of players that you know that that he likes to to operate within the system that 
that he wants to play under. And I don't think that with this current crop, we've um, we've been able to see the two kind of marry up. So, you know, uh, I'm not unhappy with him, uh, but I will I'll certainly be willing to comment. Uh, I was going to say this time next year, but I'll probably have an opinion before that. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I keep, I, I'm really undecided, like you say. I th- I kind of keep fluctuating because there's some games that I watch where I think his game management is spot on. And you look at some of the, even game to game, where you say, oh, he's clearly learned lessons from that game. He's changed the team up and he's he's learning. He's not, he's not a McCann who's stuck in his way, stubborn, saying this is how we've got to play and seeing the losses pile up. He He's learning, he's changing, he's doing all these things. It's great. And then you have other games like the Derby game, for instance, where we were 2-0 down and getting blown away. And we came out after halftime, made no changes and conceded a third goal. And it got to about the 65th minute before we made a change. And you think, why is it taking so long? What are you doing? You, you, you've lost kind of grip on the game. So I'm still I'm still very undecided on... on like The jury's still out very much for me on, on what sort of manager he is, what his game day management is like. Um, and I think... As you say, I think it's going to be maybe two months into the new season before we can really confidently say, yes, this is the manager that we need to stick with to go up who, and he just needs more time and more investment. Or to say, look, he's, he's had his chance. He's brought players in. They're not working. We're not getting the results. Let's move on. I, I think it's not going to be until, yeah, call it, I don't know, October, November next season before we start to have a clearer picture. So um, at the moment, it just feels very much like, you know, we win a game against Coventry and you think this is brilliant, like everything's going brilliantly and then we'll go out and we'll lose to Reading or something and we'll say, what on earth's going on? This is a disaster. Yep. So, um, yes, we'll see we'll see what comes of it um, in the end. Um, okay, well, I'll I'll run through my three, my MVP votes and they've actually completely changed from the set that I sent through to you because as I was saying before, I just, the, the players, the players, as we talk about the game more and then I think about the performances and I think there's play like, so many players to try to fit into the three votes, but I've actually flipped it completely and I've got the three votes for Smallwood. Um, mm. I thought his I thought his performance in the centre of the park was magnificent, capped off with the goal, but just as you say, his, his ability to, to run that block for the defence, um, when, he's, when he's on top of his game, as he was today, I think he's one of our best performers, along with Honeyman, who I've given the two votes to. I thought they were both really strong performers in midfield. I think it was, was it Honeyman who provided the assist for Smallwood's goal? Yeah. So, so I thought, I thought they were both fantastic. Um, And then I've given the one vote to Eves. I sort of talked myself into it as we, as we were talking about his performance, I thought these sorts of performances from Eves, I really enjoy. And, and, you know, it'd be great if he could get a goal to cap this sort of performance off. But when he's playing like this, as you said, as well, like his hold up play, there was, there was a passage where he dropped in, I think he was. No, I think we were breaking, and he was the only player up the field for us. And he could have just kept running and found himself in their half on his own with no support. But instead, he sort of turned back. He held it up. He got through a few players and waited for players to come up the field to him. And I was like, "This is what we need. This is this is what force is lacking when it's force up top. Is that hold up presence and that ability to actually draw the players into the play and not just keep running, get isolated, and then turn the ball over." Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. I don't think that there's there's any harm in uh, in giving Tom Eves a, a point in this one. Look, I I very very much flipped mine as well. But uh, the three points for me actually is I was going to give it to Honeyman, um, and it's simply because I thought that he, as you said, there was the um, the Smallwood assist. I mean, he also hit the corner, which was in some ways a, a Longman assist, although it wasn't necessarily direct. True. Back to him, but I thought that Honeyman just had his, you know standard working class uh, effort 
Um, I, I was going to give Longman two points because I thought that, um, you know, his goal was was hit with such conviction and would end up being crucial. I'm going to give my one point to KLP. And, and the reason I'm giving my one point to KLP is, and I know that it's marred because, uh, or I'm just too much uh, too much on his his effort that was saved because you give uh, the you know we got stuck into the Coventry keeper in in the sense that the, he probably should have saved the shot from Smallwood, the save that he put on KLP's shot is was one of yeah. the more impressive <laughs> saves um, that I've yeah. seen. That that effort from from KLP cutting in and and hitting the ball with the ferocity that he did that moved a long way in the air. And if if that had have scored, if that goal had have gone in. That would have been one of the best goals I think I've seen in my time watching City. Like that is definitely yeah. on the on the. That's, that's, that's like the Giovanni scale, yeah. That's, that's exactly right, and uh, and I just you see moments like that, and and you realise that the quality and the caliber of of King Lewis Potter and, and the type of player he's going to be. Just every time he, he gets the ball and and he's able to run it defenders down the edge, you see a real nervousness in the way that they approach him, and he's just able to kind of you know step over the ball and just create space. So. Every single time he's on the field and, and we're able to unleash him and you see glimpses of things like that, he is by far our most threatening player. And I think, you know, that's kind of, that's what factors into why he got the one point. I don't think he had the the most impressive game in the sense that he wasn't on the score sheet or anything like that. But, I mean, that shot in itself was was incredible and he was responsible for, for a lot of, um, you know, a lot of very good build-up passages and play. No, spot on. I, I think I saw the comment on Twitter that he's got to have one of the best first touches of a City player that I can remember. And I, and I have to agree with that comment from that person. Um, as you say, I mean, like he, he's he's another one. When, when he's on top of his game, he puts in such brilliant performances to watch. And that shot that he had, as you said, and him him linking up with Fleming down the left, like they've got such a good relationship going. Greaves as well down that side. Um, it's great to see those sort of the Hullborn players really having that connection and, and and gelling in that sense down that side of the pitch, and you get the overlaps and everything going with them, and it's um, it's fantastic. So you know it was a terrific performance from him as well. Um, okay, well, talking about left-sided players, um, we do have our triple flashback feature this week. It's a really tricky one, and I I acknowledge that on the outset. Um, we are sort of scraping the barrel on these ones. I, I came up with a whole list of. Uh, you know, sort of three three point questions or three question three answer questions um, at the start of the season, and uh, we're sort of running low on them at the, as we come towards the end of the season. So we'll see how we go with this one. But um, I don't. I noticed the other day it was Andy Robertson's birthday, so I thought it was a good opportunity to whip this one out because Robbo wore the number three for us in his last season, I do believe. Um, but I wanted to see if you could name the last three City players to wear the number three, including the the present owner of the number three. And I can give you clues on each player if you do need them. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I've walked into an ambush with this one. Usually I like the like the questions because I feel like there's one or two, uh, you know, pure, pure gimmies. Um, okay. The... Oh, this is this is tough. So, so yeah. I guess, I guess my clue would be, well, actually, was he a left back? So one of the one of them is definitely a left back, the current one. If that that's going to be a big clue, I think the other two are actually centre backs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, one of them, I'm a bit unsure of whether I can't, I can't actually remember. I'm pretty sure they're both centre backs. So one one we signed from one was one of those typical like random European club signings who came in for two seasons. I think we actually paid a fee for him, um, but then was constantly injured. So really only made maybe 10, 15 appearances for us, which is the one I, I don't blame you for not getting. 
The other one played for us in Grant McCann's first season um, and was sold when we got relegated. Um, and I don't know if this is a clue that helps, but towards the end of the season, he was the player who, when all the fans were getting fed up with the results, he came out to the gates and tried to apologise for the for the players and, and, and talk to the fans. And I can tell you the club he was sold to if you need another one. How am I forgetting this? I feel like I'm going to blame my week of sickness on why I can't. Think <laughs> so can um, you can you get can you get the current one? So current um, current left back. Our, our current not, left not, back, not Fleming. Well, well, it's, it, it can't be Calamelda. It is. It's Calamelda. <laughs> okay, so Calamelda is the, the the easiest one that I'll get. How I've forgotten this player that came out too. I remember he scored a screamer pra- against Brentford as well. And I remember seeing his praises on the podcast too. Um for for addressing the fans. Oh. He was sold to Wickham. Oh. That's I, all right. I, I know who it is and I and I cannot cannot think for the life of me what his name is. And that is And the, th- and the third one I don't think you're gonna get, which is totally fine. They're both pretty obscure. So that, so Ryan Tafazoli. Ryan Tafazoli. Well, Wore the shirt in in, in 2019 yeah. 20, and then Andre Mazouk, who's oh, you know one of those like of completely obscure players. Yeah, but I was surprised because I, I I maybe it's just because of Robbo and Elder, but I always think of the number three as a um a left back shirt, and I guess Andy Dawson as well, didn't he? Wore the number yeah. three. Yeah, I think so, he did. So having wow. a few centre backs wearing it's a bit 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 of a um, curveball, but there you go. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, there you have. Uh, it. I knew, I knew that was going to be a tricky one going into it, and it certainly proved to be the case. But look, we'll move on. We'll, we'll talk. Um, we'll talk Luton this weekend. Um, we, I think we sort of talked previously about the fact it's the two pound game. So, um, with the West Stand upper open as well, should hopefully. I, I, I haven't seen reports on the crowd or had tickets. Have ticket sales are going. Um, but as you sort of alluded to this morning, I feel like with that win against Coventry, we're pretty much safe now. But a win against Luton would just about secure it. You would think. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of the the thinking that I've got at the moment. I think forty four points is is certainly you know far far too much of a gap for for the bottom three to um to be able to overcome. I also think now as well, and I, you mentioned this in our in our podcast chat as well, is we've we've brought um, Birmingham back into play now. We've brought like Reddinger in the in that position, so uh, it's it's not really a concern. I think that you know you're always thinking if you're the fourth bottom side, if you're kind of that one spot above relegation, then then you're always in the fight, but. I think the gap now would just be far too big, especially when you consider the calibre of, of the teams. Like, I know Barnsley beat us, so we've got to be careful <laughs> how much how much shade we throw. But I'd be really interested to see if, if they were able to to stave the drop. I think there's still a lot of fight in Derby, but you just wonder how, how much of a, an emotional toll, you know, it's kind of taken yeah. them season. Um you know, that that would be above us with the with the points that they've returned this year, um, only to find themselves, you know, six points adrift. So there's a lot going on down there that I'm I'm certainly glad that we're not a part of. And and of course there's Peterborough as well, who I think you're gonna find it really tough to to force their way out. So I'm not too worried now. I think that we can we can safely start planning for next season, but I also think we've probably got another two or three victories in us ourselves, um, with this with this run home. Yeah, I thought that timing i don't know if it's the timing or the the nature of the conversation this morning around smallwood's contract was interesting as, as to whether they were targeting a certain number of points that we've now essentially hit to now start actually saying okay we can sit down with players we can say to them confidently that we'll be a championship club next season set out the terms start to drop contracts because 
I would sort of expect over the next few weeks, especially if we we were to get another win against Luton, um, that we'd start to see players re-signing. We'd start to see um, movement on on players' futures because, you know, we've become so accustomed under the alums to just seeing contracts run down, no communication, players not knowing what's going on. I suspect it's going to be very different now and we're going to start to get a lot more movement earlier, um, hopefully, fingers crossed, on, on player renewals. So, um, yeah, certainly I think if we can get the win against Luton, that would be the case. And, and actually, you've kind of touched on with that as well is, I mean, if, if our new owner is all that he's cracked up to be and, and he's genuine in the things that he's kind of said, he's, he's actually come in and really taken the time to kind of learn a bit of the history of the club and, and to listen to the fans and what has worked and what hasn't worked. And I know that we've talked about it. We've banged that drum for many years about how frustrated we've been with the way that, that City operate with contracts. And, you know, you see people walk out the door, um, you know, often because of the the timing and just how poor, I guess, the alums were at, at making that a transparent process. And so if if our new owner has listened and heeded that advice, well, why not? Why not start getting, you know, getting all the the eggs in the in a row for um for Shotter and and help him help him build the team that he wants and give him the best chance for for the start of next championship season as opposed to, you know, waiting to the the back end of uh, of the off season and then having to scrounge for players. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um well, well speaking of the team as well, so so Luton three wins in their last five after that performance against Coventry this morning, though, um, would you make any changes to this side? Uh, we, we've seen the news that Baxter's out until after the international break as well. So, um, you know, not that Ingram in any way deserves to be m- missing out on a, sp- on a position. Um, I, I'd almost say, as we sort of alluded to, may, maybe Doherty back in for Slater, I guess, but otherwise it's pretty much our best 11 and we just go with it again. I think so. And I think at the same time, like, you do want to try and build that culture where you can reward reward players. Like when you go away and you pick two points up against a team that were, you know, challenging for a promotion place or certainly a playoff place, um, you know, that's that's a great knock and a, and a very tidy performance. So you do want to kind of build on that momentum. I, I'd be really surprised to see changes in this one. Yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, so how, how do you feel about the game going into it? I mean, Luton, pretty tough opponent. They're sort of pushing for the playoff places in a pretty similar position to Coventry, to be honest, um, did get the win this uh, yesterday morning, I think it was, 4-0 winners um, against uh, whoever it was they were playing. I'll look that up. But, how, yeah, how do you feel about coming up coming, coming up against them? Yeah, look, I think, right. I think Luton are one of those teams at the moment where you can see that they've kind of, you know, got the wind in their sail, so to speak. But... And and some really quality signings. I think Rob Snodgrass is uh, is oh, yeah, completely forgot about that. Yeah. And, I, and I believe that um that Stewart is still there as well. Um, yeah, Stewart's there. Um, I know that they pushed Chelsea all the way in the in their cup tie a few weeks ago. And Rhys well. Burke, of course. Rhys Burke. So that's right. So we'll you know we'll be coming up against some familiar faces. Um, look, I think Luton to, to their to their credit do look like a team on the rise and and have certainly um you know, made some quality signings and, and seem to be doing all the right things. So by no means is this going to be a, a, an easy victory or well, an, an easy game. I think that we'll, we may struggle. I, I think a, a draw would be a, a good result. Um, if we're able to pinch three points, well, not only would it assure us of our, of our safety, but, um, you know, it'd be an incredibly uh, pleasing scalp, I guess, to get at this stage of the season. But, I think it'll be tough. I think it'll be really tough. I'm probably more tipping a draw if I'm optimistic in this one. Yeah, probably be yeah. One. 
Um, yeah, no, I, you mentioned Kevin Stewart there, and I, I was I, I thought he was at Luton as well. I just looked it up. He's he's at Blackpool, and I, I do I get those two always mixed up. But you know, yeah. you know, what I was thinking uh, Kevin Stewart with Luton was I don't know if you remember the game. I think it was McCann's first season where he got that really crazy goal where it was like right on the right on the um the goal line or something. Yeah, the three the three nil win. I, I do yeah. remember that. I was very. Did he get two goals in that game? Uh, he might have. I just I can't remember that that game was such an interesting game to watch. I, I remember like the goals the goals were really interesting and it had that uh, game. I remember it being crucial at the time as well. Yeah. I think it was coming off a um a pretty poor patch and it was really important that we got the three points and it was emphatic in the end. But I just remember so much happening. It was one of those strange away days where you just it, it's it's stuck in your mind. Yeah, yeah. It looks like John's also tipping us for the draw. I think I think that's right. I think, look, if we can get a draw against Luton, it would be, what's that, five points in three games. That's a pretty good return um, for us to get. And oh, I, it's, a, it's a difficult one because we've still got nine games left in the season, but it, it's it's sort of at that point now where, uh, you know, once we mathematically, I guess it's now it's just about becoming mathematically safe. That's that's the aim. But there's nothing there's nothing else to really play for, maybe to push up the table a little bit. Um, you know, we're sitting there in, is it 18th now? So we've got a chance to, to push up a little bit further um, now that we've gone past Birmingham. Sorry, we're, we're, we're 19th now. Um, two points behind Bristol City, five points behind Cardiff and Stoke, six points behind Swansea. So probably Swansea in 15th, about as high as I think we could end up. Preston in 14th on 51 is probably a bit too far ahead of us. Um, but that's that's about it. And look, you know, if you'd given me that at the start of the season that we'd be basically nothing to play for with nine games left i'd be perfectly happy with that yeah it's and it's a very positive trajectory from you know promotion in league one to you know mid table or lower mid table in the championship it, it shows that we're headed in the right direction particularly when i guess when you consider everything that's come out of this season the the best thing is probably the sale of the club so there's a lot of um the, a lot of reasons to be optimistic heading forward yeah absolutely and, plenty of reasons to be optimistic and Alex, I did have one question for you as yep. well before, uh, before we roll. And I know that this one's probably not, well, it's definitely not city related, but maybe it is in the sense that it's a it's a relegation rival if we, you still put us in that bracket. What do you think with Derby? Are you happy for them to stay up? Do you want to see them survive or do you kind of err on the side of they breach the rules and should suffer? That is, it, it is a tricky one. I probably started the season and, and still to a large extent am pretty happy for them to go down, um, breach the rules. They know what they've done. Um, and a lot of them were complicit in it at the time. I mean, the owner was, you know, selling the, sta- the stadium to himself to breach, to, to get around FFP and all the supporters were quite happy for him to do it. Um, so you can't say that it's sort of a shock for them or anything like that. Um, but the fact that he's now gone, they've been in administration for the whole season. It's a little bit like Wigan, though not quite the same. I mean, Wigan hadn't really breached the rules in that in that sense. Um, and there is that element of, you know, you want that fairy tale finish to the season. You want them to stay up for Rooney and, and doing all that. But look, um, you know, it'd be nice, it'd be nice to go down to the final day and, and be a bit dramatic between Reading and Derby, I think, just for the, you know, you want that relegation battle going to the end. Uh, it'd be a shame if you know Barnsley and Derby drop off a bit and it, it kind of gets settled before the final day. But yeah, look, mixed feelings, I guess. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I'm still on the fence. That's why I thought I'd, I'd ask you because I, I go through waves and and I do think it would be a really really special story for Wayne Rooney as a you know as a manager to be able to achieve and Liam Rosinia as well. That's right. Assistant, Liam, yeah. That's right. So there's you know I'm I'm neither here nor there. It, it, it swings in roundabouts, but I agree. 
I think a, an exciting relegation battle is is better than one that's uh, you know concreted and sewn up well before uh, the end of the the final day. Yeah, and speaking of, look, if they do go down, I would absolutely love us to poach Rosenia as an assistant manager. Um, uh, everything that I sort of hear and read about his progression in football just screams that he's just a very intelligent man, very astute in what he does. Uh, and knowing the club, loving the club and the area, uh, his nana's from Hull after all, um, it would be great to get him back here and in, in some sort of capacity if, if they were to go down. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Absolutely. Okay. Well, look, it's an international break after this weekend, so we won't be back for two weeks, um, but we'll be back after the uh, the international break to talk Luton result and look ahead for the last few games of the season. Um, but until then, thanks for joining me on this one, Logan. My pleasure, Alex. Good to be here. No worries. And thanks everyone for listening in. Until next time, come on City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast, The Tigers Down Under. For more discussion, join us on Facebook at the Hull City AFC Australia Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Odds. The music was created by Amber Black. There's no turning